And the idea that Maury Terry goes on about uh, German shepherds being killed, I mean, just because we had German shepherds, he then makes the assumption, oh, well, they must be the ones who are cutting the heads off German shepherds. We loved our, our dogs. We fed our dogs better than we fed ourselves. I mean, the idea that anybody there would kill a dog is so absurd, mm -hmm. absolutely absurd. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and Ron. Yes, you listen to Sick and Ron. The Sick and Ron, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Simon. And I'm fellow cult leader, Kate Rambo. What's cracking there, Kate Rambo? Just leading my cult to the to the bitter end. Leading oh, it's the hard cult. work, I tell you. Leading, you a, I tell you what, down. it is more hassle than it is anything else. Just people coming to you with all their problems all the time. I just want their money, money for them to die. But oh, just that's the problem, problem with that messianic complex. It's hard to maintain. It, it really is. is. I tell you what, the end is nigh, dude. The end is nigh. <laughs> So I uh, was in San Francisco last weekend, hung out um, with my nephew, nice. Ozzy. Um, you know, my sister like plays all this, like, she's got all these, like, toys. She's, she's tons of toys for this kid. And a lot of people gave her all these toys. But it has almost, like, whacked out music. Like, it's got, like, little kids. Like, there's this one toy that he has that looks like a keyboard, but you press a green button and this, like, cheesy voice about, like, oh. Some some like green eggs and blah blah blah. It's almost like green eggs and ham, but it's like this like stupid song. Kind of pissed me off. So I was just playing um dancing off my phone. Obviously, and I, was thinking, I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily a harmful thing to get a kid into dancing earlier on. You know, I think it's for the best. I wish my parents would have done that for his long term best. I think it. it I think so is, too. Should be done. At yeah. childbirth, like Elvis, he should also be on a regular schedule now of listening to Elvis. You know, that's a good idea. I think I might do that. You know, it's it, it, it was fun seeing the kid grew a lot. Like, I, I saw him in March, and now he's like, I don't know, double his size, probably. He's, he smiles, he like grabs shit. How, in, like, use like a hot dog as a scale. How many hot dog lengths is he? Like like four hot dogs. Are you in saying a bun? like a soy dog, like a not dog, or a regular hot dog? Just a regular hot dog. Like I don't know anything about regular hot dogs. Would they fit in the palm of your hand? <laughs> no, I don't fucking know. He's like three feet or something. He weighs like He's probably not three feet tall. I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> Two feet. He can't even stand up. He's got little fat fucks. He's got cankles. He's but probably you know... like three hot dogs length. I would say. I, I, Two. I don't know. Two. I, do you measure? Is that how you measure? Infants in England. Everything hot dogs. I do. Everything by how long is the sausage? Get a ruler. Wait, which <laughs> sausage say... are you talking about? <laughs> I thought you were gonna say get a room then, and I was like, with my hot dogs, gladly. Wait, which sausage are you talking about? <laughs> uh, take your um, mind out the gutter. It's the hot dog. I gotta say one thing. So they, Stephanie and Big Jer, obviously are obsessed with this kid. You know, because it's their kid but they're obsessed with particular aspects of this kid's life, like his shit, his feces. They, it's a thing. And I was like, that's all they talk about. They, they, they have a calendar marking down like how long has it been since he's gone. Sometimes he won't go for what? four days. And when he does go, 
It's like a celebration. It's like fucking Mardi Gras because the kid just shit. And then she will like ask Jared to come over and take a look at it and be like, what do you think? And I'm like, I, I don't know. You, want to know, you know she, who would you appreciate this? She should send these pictures to Steele from the Ville. They used to have an entire um, photo section of just Steele's shits. I don't so know if Steele would like could a be baby shit. It's not even a log. It's like paste. But he could compare and then tell them what to feed the baby to start producing real logs. Also good for his future. Don't you think it'd be a little, I don't know, kind of creepy if Steele's looking at like baby's diapers he's got tons of like pictures of baby diapers <laughs> like used baby diapers on his phone he's like a single man you know well, is it bachelor. not creepy what they're doing they're writing down when their baby takes a shit that's a bit creepy is it they have you a cannot... shit they they have a shit they keep diary a log of the logs they it's have a log, log of logs, logs. yeah it's yeah. it was i was like this isn't normal she's like no it's actually very normal all parents do this and no. I, Do I don't they? know. I think that baby's going to be like, this is weird. I think they're going to be watching him when he takes his first shit in like a toilet. <laughs> and it's going to be a thing that they do together as a family. As a family. As a family. The yeah, family that shits together stays together. Stay, yeah, it's the glue that holds that family together. I don't know. I'm not taking any part of it. But I was like, it's fucking gross. And I don't think you should get this excited over baby shit. I There's really basically don't. nobody watching now because all we're talking about is people shitting. I, I, I'm not surprised. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I, didn't, with them. <laughs> I didn't get to see uh, my brother. My brother got the COVID. Jeffrey. I think, yeah, I think he will be fine with the COVID. I certainly think he's probably felt worse because of other things. Well, that's, that's kind of what I was wondering, like with all the diseases that my brother has or is it like the viruses he's come in contact with on a daily basis, you know, I'm wondering where the Rona like stands in terms of like, you know, being lethal, like, is it as yeah, bad like as what, the other ones that he has? How does it compare to the worst come down he's ever had? That's yeah, or like, like the super know. gonorrhea. Does that kill the corona? I don't know how it works. Like balances it out, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to know too. But he, I mean, he looked like utter shit. Like I went over there to give him some chicken soup and uh, some some sugar free Gatorade. Um, but uh, but you know he's vaccinated, so it kind of lessened the severity. I think if with my brother's health and uh, the state of his like diabetes, weight, whatever, been smoking since he's been twelve, I think if he got the Rona like initially without being vaccinated, I don't know if he would have been able to survive it. But with the vaccine, I mean, it's sure he says back hurts, he feels tired, but I mean, you know, he was only down for a few days, so it wasn't it wasn't as bad. So I, I'm not sure. And he probably got. I, I've also heard that the Delta. Is le- is more contagious, but not as like severe, like less of, less of a severity. I really think it depends because uh, the Delta has definitely been fucking a lot of people I know in the ass. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes you sick, but it's also I think it depends if you're uh, vaxxed or not. You know, you know what's weird about uh, San Francisco though, and they're starting to do it in LA. I don't know if they're doing it over in the UK, but so bars are open, and you don't have to wear a face diaper. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to wear a face mask. But you have to have a vax card to get into a bar. Oh, your hot vax card. That, yours is laminated, right? I was carrying my laminated vax card. Wipe um, clean. Well, mainly, you know, so I can prove to the sluts that they might catch syphilis from me, but not Rona, you know. Um, but Joe uh, had a, uh, Joe Kelly had a picture of it on his phone. And then they're like, oh, that's fine. So you could just show the picture of the phone. You know how, like, low res that is 
No, I'm thinking about it. I was always like, I could take a picture of this, go into Photoshop two seconds, put Kate Rambo on it, uh, you know, and, and remove my name. You just put it on your phone and yeah. there you go. Now you got a, you got a, a Vax card. Yeah, it's, it is ridiculous. No, I'm thinking of doing this. I'm thinking out. of like peddling uh, fake Vax cards. I'm sure there's already the market. I'm sure the black market is probably filled with them by now. I think if you'd have done that maybe, um, what, three months ago, you would have, you could have hustled some money. You could have grifted some money there. But I think it, you've always got to get in early on the grifts, right? This is what I've learned. That is true. When That's you're true. grifting, when you're trying to con people, you've got to be there in like your foot in the door. If you, you've left it too late now, man. You can't grift I'm, money out of anyone. The ship might have sailed, but, um, but I don't know. I was thinking of just like peddling fake vax cards. I bet you that would work in like Eastern Europe. But you could probably get one like at the airport. Why do you think it would work there? Are you being know. racist against um, some of my favorite people on this planet? Because I will not stand for it. I've seen a Serbian film. I know what goes on there. All right? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I think that's like a, vax, a fake vax card is like the least of your concerns. Yeah, that more easier. <laughs> anyway. Um, Kay Rambo. Yes. I, think, I do realize that you uh, are aware of this, but I'm just going to restate it for the purpose of the show. It's the anniversary of the uh, Tate murders. It is? Yep. They occurred August the 8th, 8th and, 9th. and 9th, 1969, at 10050 Cielo Drive, 52 years ago. It's a long time. Today, yeah. Sharon Tate. and um, You know, if Sharon Tate had still lived to be this age, 52 years later, she would still be hot. She'd be yeah, in the 70s. Yeah, I was about to say. I bet you but, she'd um, still be hot. She'd still be banging, man. She was banging back then. Yeah, she was very fit. I could see that. I don't know about uh, there were like four other people too, right? Didn't he have yeah, some guests? Yeah, there's Stephen Perrin, Abigail Folger, um, Wojtek Frakowski. Uh, I think I'm saying his last name wrong. And then Sharon Tate. So it's yeah, the anniversary of the Tate. Oh, and Jay Sebring, obviously. Oh, yeah, Sorry, Jay. Yeah, how could you yeah. forget Jay Sebring? Um, <laughs> so yeah, so they uh, so this month we're doing Manson Month on Overkill. It's going to be every episode's um, associated. With Manson, not necessarily about Charlie. Well, I always, I always say this. I've definitely said this on the show before. I actually think Charles Manson is the most boring out of all the Manson family because he's just institutionalized. It's all the people who he managed to like con and bring into like his schemes. What about that Tex? I'm much more interested in Tex Watson. He's a wanker because <laughs> anyone who goes to jail and becomes a born again Christian is an instant wanker. But Tex was just like a, a weird like runaway college kid. Um. He's not who I'm mega into in the family. There won't be an overkill about Tex Watson. I do like the name Tex, though. Tate. Well, he's a Tex. Charles Tex Watson because he's from Texas. Yeah, that's kind of a cool name. Um, so the topic for today's show is something that, you know, uh, we've been, Harrison and I wanted to do this like years ago. This is a, a Harrison of, topic. Well, a lot of the topics that we waited on was because like, oh, I got to get the book first and it just never happens. So it's like we just well, kind of it's backlog. Well, because there are several books on this on this particular topic. Also, a recent documentary called "Sympathy for the Devil," uh, which is really good. Um, but we're going to talk about the Process Church of the Final Judgment, aka the Process. Um, they're accused of being like a black-caped, black-garbed, death-worshipping church. Awesome. Um, they were an apocalyptic cult. Awesome. Borrowed heavily from the uh, Church of Scientology. Not awesome. Yeah, mm. stole a lot of their their tools and techniques. And then there, you know, people uh, claim that they're a, a pretty uh, major influence to none other than Charlie Manson. 
borrowed a few of their philosophies to uh, start his own cult. Um, not to mention other celebrities were uh, aff- affiliated or involved with the uh, the process. And uh, like Marianne Faithful, for example, was on one of the covers oh. of their magazines. Mick Jagger, you know. Um, so, uh, but yeah, uh, they actually lived for a while. The process had a location in San Francisco that was right down the street from good old Charlie. But what a weird cult the process was. I've been you're reading about them all week. Um, yeah, a strange religious movement. And it's at that time in the uh, late 60s, 70s, where, you know, the, 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 you know, society was rife with all these like new age thinking groups and occultism and uh, all these different like Scientology was kind of a burgeoning, uh, you know, religion at that time. And so a lot of people are getting swept up with these like new age philosophies and, uh, and you know, joining cults. Um, and things like that. And I, so I can kind of see why the, the process church um, came to fruition and survived as long as it did. But what a, what a bizarre cult. Mm. I mean, Scientology, weird. It is weird. Scientology is weird with Zenu and the aliens and all this. But the process church, I, I think they were like already kind of into Scientology. And they're like, let's just make it a little weirder, all right? Let's add, like, God, Lucifer, Satan. Let's just do it. Let's just do it let's all. Let's kick it up a notch, guys. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. So let's get into it here. All dates back to 1963. Um, Robert de Grimston Moore and his eventual wife, uh, Marianne McLean, met at a Dianetics, there they are, auditing session at the L.L. Um, Ron Hubbard Institute of Scientology on Fitzroy Street in London. Which I, when did UK deem Scientology a cult? Was that like in the past twenty years, or is that like I, even oh, like I the seventies? Yeah, because it is. Uh, it's not practiced here like the way it is in America, is it? It must. No, I think um, the cult thing came recently. Oh, so it's a recent thing. I mean, is it banned? I'm not sure if it's banned. Well, I think they're banned from having buildings and premises. This is, but I don't necessarily think you're banned from. Is it worship? <laughs> like, do you worship the Scientology? I well, don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, they like in, in the States, it's considered an actual religion. Like, they not, are yeah, excluded from a, paying property yeah. tax on the sundry properties they have uh, all over LA that are worth, I don't know, millions and Can millions of dollars. Can I just say dollars. that this, this is a handsome couple. They're both attractive. He's kind of got a Christopher Walken vibe, and she's just like a full-on 60s, like, love witch babe. Yeah, let's check out the second picture of him too. He looks like a very seventies, very dashing, like a leading man, he, like a Rucker Hauer type. He could totally be on like one of those like Dennis Wheatley cult like novels. I would and, buy and, it. and she's very beautiful too. I mean, they're very uh, a fetching couple. Hard to find pictures of her. I, I couldn't really find too many pictures of Marianne McLean. So they both met at a, at, at, at a Dianetics auditing session. They're studying to be auditors, quote unquote. Um, and based on the earlier system of Dianetics, auditing was Hubbard's method of discovering and eliminating engrams, which is the psychic <laughs> residue from past traumas. People were so like hopped up on uh, goofballs and marijuana at that time that this all made sense. Like well, like, apparently yeah, it still does to Tom um, Cruise. Los Angeles, yeah. The aim of auditing was to become clear to wipe the psychic slate clean. And so they were studying to become auditors. So Robert uh, Moore and Marianne McLean were fascinated by auditing, and they became proficient. They were um, you know, scholars of Scientology. 
Both are very enthusiastic about it. Robert was uh, born in Shanghai in 1935. He served in the military as a cavalry officer. A relatively middle-class upbringing. Studied to be an architect. Smart guy. Uh, IQ of 163. And was a member of Mensa. Yeah. Tall. Handsome. Dreamy. Um, But he was was passive. Getting a little wet right here for him. Passive and emotionally dependent. Which... Bit of a perfect match here for uh, Marianne. So Marianne, on the other hand, born in Glasgow, 1931, she had a she had an interesting interesting life, interesting upbringing. Uh, her father left before she was born, and her mother abandoned her. She was raised by relatives in poverty and neglect. Attractive, very attractive, uh, driven and ambitious. Um, by the early 50s, she moved to the states, and the um, Rumor has it, once again, it's hard to find a lot of information about her. Uh, she paid her way through college and uh, just life in general as a prostitute. And, and for a time, this is pretty interesting too, she was actually married to boxing champion Sugar Ray Robinson in the early Seriously? 1960s. Yeah. In the early 1960s, wow. Marianne actually, I mean, she was married to him. It was a brief, I don't know, like a couple year marriage. But in the 1960s, she left Sugar Ray and then moved back to London, to the UK. And, I mean, the split definitely worked out for her because she got a lease on an expensive flat, set up a high-class call girl service in London. So she became a madam there. I love her. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's kind of amazing, actually. And we'll get to that. We'll get to her role in the uh, Process Church a little bit later. But she had some you know, top-tier customers and uh, connections with the Profumo scandal. I don't know if you remember that. but I do. Um, she was demanding, manipulative, uh, volatile. She had like severe mood swings. She knew how to exploit emotional needs. She, pretty much she had every characteristic of a successful cult leader. And she would foster dependence in those around her, including Robert. You know, Robert yeah, was, I mean, Robert's an intelligent guy, a, a good looking guy, but I think he was easily manipulated. I think so. I think you said before he was like emotionally needy and she just sounds like the perfect woman to boss him around. He needs a good, strong Scottish woman to tell him what to do. They well, wear the I, pants. Definitely. I think we know who the brains behind this operation was. So it became apparent to Marianne and Robert that they're too intelligent and willful to remain in the Church of Scientology and follow uh, Hubbard and Hubbard's teachings. And they had ideas of their own that they started testing on their own clients. However, security at the uh, Church of Scientology here on Fitzroy um, was high, and they had actually bugged session rooms and found out that uh, Robert and Marianne were up to their own little operation here. Um, So L. Ron Hubbard kicked them out. They they booted them from the church. uh, By the man himself. Well, the leadership of the London branch, but I'm sure Elron was. Uh, I mean, these were gonna, like some of his top students. Yeah, I'm going to imagine it was him because that's way cooler to say that he got kicked out of the church by so Elron. When they left the church, um, Marianne said, "You know what? I think it's time, Robert, for you to drop more and just be Robert Dick Grimston because I think it sounds a little darker, a little more occult." Um, she thought. Moore was a bit too common. And so uh, his, his surname officially now was Dick Grimston. And they married in 1964, and they set up their own system, which is a bit of a combination 
of the teachings of L. Ron Hubbard and Freudian psychologist Alfred Adler. Now, Adler had developed the uh, idea of the inferiority complex, and he believed that people were driven by what he called secret goals, hidden agendas that gave rise to like compulsions and neuroses. So the idea was to discover these goals and bring them to the conscious level. So by putting Adler and Hubbard together, because Hubbard's like, you know, clean your psychological residue, this guy was like, find out what makes you inferior, bring it to the forefront, and learn to control it. They created a new system that they called compulsions analysis. I mean, at that time, you seriously could just like look up Carl Jung and be like, I'm going to do the same thing and uh, just name it something catchy. Yeah, it already sounds like something that could be around now to be fair, that people would fall prey to now. Well, I mean, look at the Church of Scientology. What was interesting is they modeled it on auditing, and they made use of the E-meter, which is what Scientologists still use today, the polygraph-like device that they employ during their auditing sessions. Um, Actually, because they used the E-meter and the Scientologists found out about it, they declared um, DeGrimson and McLean suppressive persons, toxic personalities to be avoided by Hubbard himself. So they had already been kicked out, but now they're suppressive. Well, in nowadays they'd be disappeared. Kind of. I think, uh, they're, they're conniving the Scientologists. They, they have ways to do this and they they call you an SP. Like, what what was that? Uh, what was that celebrity who recently, who was on a, did a reality show and she was, uh, blanking on her name right now. Reality show about Scientology. And she kind of exposed a lot of their secrets and they called her an SP. I don't, well, I imagine Louis Ferrou when he did their document, his documentary was oh, also I'm an sure SP. He was too. So they started just practicing their own system now, and the circle grew. So initially, it had been people who had, um, you know, they met through Scientology, and they started calling it the process, like what they were doing. This whole compulsion analysis became the process, and people paid considerable fees to uh, the Dick Grimstons for uh, this treatment, quote unquote treatment. Uh, most of her early clients came from Robert's set. Marianne's friends tended to be a bit shadier than Robert's. <laughs> I think, you know, Robert had the English youth, young professionals, architects, artists, scientists. That was the core of the following at first. But you want younger, impressionable people, people who are more receptive, you know, to new ideas. So the group now is about, about 30 people, and they began to feel the group mind effects of this system. It's kind of like the genesis of the cult. The madness of the many. So compulsions analysis moved from self-help to more of a spiritual quest. So the people who had gone through the entire process, the holistic process, now began to regard the rest of society as a bad dream. Like they moved beyond that. Like they're elevated. Their consciousness is elevated. Um, So the DeGrimsons started feeling like what they created was more than a therapy. It was a movement, you know, kind of like Scientology. And so DeGrimson was known as the teacher, McLean, the oracle. Oh, I want to be known as the oracle. (laughs) These are like Marvel characters, (laughs) aren't they? This is great. Well, they even had like symbols, and we'll show pictures of that later, but the members were called processions, like processions. And so the aim was to improve themselves with a view to escape, you know, the imminent world judgment because you're beyond world judgment. And at this point, I mean, they're a full-on messianic complex on both 
you know, Robert and Marianne's side. They felt inspired. They felt divine powers were guiding them to do this. And so when one of their members, one of the 30, came into an inheritance, they convinced him to take out a lease on a mansion in Balfour Place in Mayfair. Oh, very swish. Is Mayfair pretty, yeah, is Mayfair pretty upscale? Oh, yes. Yeah. It's full of mansions, darling. The only the elite live in Mayfair. So they donated, this, uh, this uh, member donated it to the process. And they convinced him to decorate the place lavishly. And they started now at this point referring to, from compulsions analysis to more the process is what they used. It wasn't official, but they called it the process. Um, and so he decorated the place lavishly, put a brass plate on the door, um, came up there. Yeah, there it is. Came up with a new process symbol that Robert had designed. And you can kind of see it over there on the left. It's like four P's. It's sort of like a mandalic wheel, kind of, in a sense. Yeah, um, it looks a bit like something else. I was about it, to say, David? doesn't it have like an uncanny resemblance to another symbol that we know? Hmm, yeah. I wonder. <laughs> so it's a swastika-like symbol they called the P sign. That was the, the insignia, yeah. Oh, so for it, process, okay. Oh, for I process. See, yeah, because it is a P. I it's see It's four it now. P's. It is not a swastika in any way whatsoever. It's a P. I see it. <laughs> so, yeah, check out the... Yeah, there it is. There, There's the, the sticker. The uh, A lot of people wore this patch. And they also had, like, jewelry, too, that they wore as well. Why did they have to do it in the same colors as the swastika? <laughs> Just putting it out there. Like, come on, guys. At least change the colors. Maybe invert the colors a little. It's very eye-catching, but everyone's going to know The symbol here mean. had four superimposed P letters. It was also seen as representing the trumpets of the four great gods. Uh, and they also they? used a second symbol called the sign of the union, which featured the letter alpha inside the letter omega, representing the intercourse of uh, male Lucifer and female Jehovah. You'll, I'll show you that on some of their outfits. But yeah, here's the, the process, Church of the Final Judgment. That is not an iron cross at all in any way whatsoever. <laughs> Do I not look at that and think, hey, that's an iron cross? <laughs> I know it is really funny how they use these like evocative. Uh, I'm I'm sure, you know that was uh, that was definitely intended. So now in the early years, the members of the of the church here, of uh, of the, the the process church of the final judgment, would dress in black capes and turtlenecks, and they wore silver awesome. crosses and then that insignia there and badges portraying the goat of Mendes. Now, awesome. the goat of Mendes is another uh, way of saying Baphomet. You know, the Baphomet symbol? Yeah, nice. Yeah, so there's a, oh, okay, here's, so here, this is interesting. Here's a bunch of the jewelry, which I wonder if you can even find this in this I 100, age. the dragon cross, I want that, and I do want the iron cross ring. The, I would the iron cross looks like a, like a shuriken, like a ninja star. Oh, it um, does a bit. So the goat of Mendes, Mendes uh, which the Baphomet the name Baphomet has been associated with a sabbatic goat image, which was drawn by Eliphas Levi. This is like in around 1856, and it contains binary elements. I don't think I have a picture of it, but everyone knows what the, yeah. the, the goat symbol of Satan um, represents the symbolization of the equilibrium of opposites, half human, half animal, male and female, good and evil. And so the goat of Mendes, which I think he, that's what Levi initially called it, was probably following the Greek account of uh, the god of Mendes, which was the Greek name for Jadet Egypt, which was depicted with a goat's face and legs. And so Herodotus relates how all male goats were held in great reverence by the Mendesians. 
And so at this time, women would publicly copulate with the goat. Like that was the ceremony. Everyone would be like, she's going to have sex with the goat. Well, they didn't have telly back then. They didn't have radio. <laughs> they didn't have the internet. I mean, what are you going to do for fun? Come I got to say, it sounds better than Love Island, if you ask me. Yeah, you know? 100% would rather watch that too. So at several places in this area of the Delta in Egypt here, um, the god Pan and a goat were worshipped. You know, um, goats had intercourse with women. Uh, Herodotus uh, said there's a case where you know, it would take place in the open of the a town market where everyone would gather around and cheer as the, you know, the goat was, uh, you know, stupiner. Um, the link between Baphomet and the pagan god Pan actually was also observed by Crowley and Anton LaVey, who said many pleasures revered before the advent of Christianity were condemned by the new religion, by Christianity. It required little changeover to transform the horns and cloven hooves of Pan into a most convincing devil, like, you know, the satanic Baphomet. Pan's attributes could neatly be changed into charged with punishment sins, and so the metamorphosis is complete. So they took this symbol that was, you know, innocent and worshipped and revered and made it into something evil, now associated with evil. Well, that's what the Christians like to do, isn't it? Like to ruin (laughs) all the good and fun times, make it all serious. So at this point, the processions and the process and the church, the uh, process church of the final judgment um, was in full effect. Like there were about 30 members in 1966. Um, and Robert and Marianne thought, we got to get out of the UK. Got to get out of London. They, d- they were disgusted by society. Disgusted. And they felt, and they, yeah, they were. And they felt like we need to find a sanctuary a home for our new religion. So they left and they went to Nassau, the Bahamas. Uh, They were accompanied by six Alsatian dogs. They always had Alsatian dogs. I love this couple. Yeah, they always did. A lot of the Alsatians were black Alsatian dogs, which is one of my favorite breeds of dogs. Yeah, amazing My dream dog. I'm going to get one. Maybe I'm going to name it after the process. Yeah, they also said uh, there are other things that they had acquired from uh, members with an $80,000 yacht, first-class series of Turkey and Asia. <laughs> so there were fringe benefits from, you know, leading the cult here. Uh, but, yeah, members, to be more like their leaders, would also acquire Alsatians. So it was like this cult where everyone Alsatians. had Alsatians. Yeah. I love it. It's like a dog club, but you're all, you know, worshipping Satan in your spare time. I'm well, down for this. Sign me up. Remember their, their reverence for animals, Alsatians in particular, because it'll come to come full circle a little bit later. So um, they went to Nassau. They were there for about three months. Didn't really work out. Wasn't the place that they had, they had imagined, that they had you know, visualized. So, you know why? It's too hot. Yeah, but that could have been. Maybe it was the water pigs. You know, they have pigs that swim in water. That's adorable, but it's too hot there. Wild pigs swimming in water. I don't know. It freaked me out. I so, think all pigs can swim, can they not? Yeah, but these pigs do it on purpose. They're just like cruising around and herds swimming. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> I have seen that, and it's adorable. I'm for that, but I'm not for the blazing hot sun every day, especially when you're trying to wear a cloak. You're wearing a lot of heavy jewelry. It can't be done. Well, I don't know if that was their concern because then they next went to Mexico City, which is also pretty fucking hot. So they went to Mexico <laughs> City, and while they were there, they're like, Someone suggested, just hire a bus and go down the Yucatan coast. You'll find a perfect place. And so near Cisal, Mexico, central Mexico, they found Stuhl, 
which is uh, a stool, <laughs> which my sister and Jer seem to find frequently, and they celebrate they're, it. They're in the cult of stool. <laughs> it's X-T-U-L. Um, it's a place of ruins. It's near the beach, and uh, it actually means terminus or the end in Mayan. Uh, but for the process, this is the start of everything. So um, Robert thought it was paradise. So did Marianne. They lived on fruit, fish, swimming, making love, having group sexual encounters, orgies. This is, this is like the, you know, the dream, the wet dream of any, you know, person who's trying to like find themselves in the 60s, like of self-discovery in the 60s. It's like I'm living in paradise, living in a you know, veritable Eden, Garden of Eden, having orgies, hanging out. Sure, I'm wearing the black cloak with a little swastika-like symbol, but that's that's cool. Having orgies. Yeah, I can take it off. Got my Alsatians. It's all fun times here, people. It had a profound effect on Robert, and he started beginning to identify with Jesus Christ. Felt he had powers like Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, it's pretty common for most cult leaders. But then disaster hit. A hurricane pummeled. The entire area for three days, like 200 mile per hour winds, uh, flattened all the shelters. And no one, no one was injured from it severely. Like no one died or anything. But it was a rite of passage for de Grimstein. He saw the true nature of the universe. They had met the twin gods of love and violence, like right in front of him. He saw this. So now we saw how God, nature, combined love and violence, which he took to mean as a symbol to represent God, Satan, Lucifer. So Satan, there's one side of Satan, there's also Lucifer, the bringer of light, Satan, evil. But it was like Satan, Lucifer, and God became one. And he, so then he kind of had this like, I would almost say he probably was not a lot of psychedelics, being that everybody was. So he had this out-of-body experience where he contacted three entities, Jehovah, Lucifer and Satan, the three great gods of the universe. Very similar to Moses and a certain burning bush. You know, he, oh, okay. he saw a burning bush that was speaking to him. Well, you know, the uh, Grimson here. I was, I'd much rather speak to Lucifer than a burning bush. Well, he had God, Lucifer, and Satan, the great oh, gods I, of the universe. You know? Yeah, I want Satan and Lucifer. God can fuck off. <laughs> Gonna have some fun times. Well, this was the foundation of his procession theology. You know, now he uh, wanted, there it is. Lucifer, Jehovah, Satan. The game of gods. Three paths. Which path do you follow? And this is, this is the, basically the, the foundation of the entire theology. He claims that there's, uh, there's four forms of deity, Jehovah, Lucifer, Christ, and Satan. And members are asked to identify with one of their God patterns. Like you have to look inside yourself and find out what God pattern. Are you Jehovian Christian? Are you Jehovian Satanic? Are you Luciferian Christian? Are you Luciferian Satanic? So he kind of subverted the Judeo-Christian archetypes here. And which, I mean, it's fairly common. Like you look at like any cult leader, you know, takes uh, these existing archetypes. I mean, Christianity kind of did it. It, they borrowed Charlton. from like the Old Testament, borrowed from uh, Islam. You know, Charles Manson did it. He the was Babylonians. Both yeah, I mean, Satan I th- and Jesus. Exactly. I think they they put their own spin. You know, developed their own Gnostic philosophy, and that's what he did with the Process Church. He said, that, you know, the three great gods represent uni- universal forces, but spiritual currents in the human soul. Jehovah, God of discipline and righteousness, also God of war. Think of holy wars. 
Lucifer, god of love and light, and a sensualist. So sex is under his purview, the ultimate act of love and life, self-indulgence, sensuality. Satan, god of darkness, magic, and transcendence. Nice. You know, satanic violence, lust, and disorder. And then there's Christ, the emissary to the other gods, transcendental love. You know, he's believed to come a second time to the end of times. So you had a, you found something, uh, did you have a quote about enmity as you found in, uh, which book is this? Um, let me find the quote first. So there's the, yes. so there's the four God patterns. Yeah, that all this is a book um, from Jack Sargent, who's a great author. I've got a lot of his book and it's called Deaf Cults. And so this is a, yeah, an enmity, which I can never say. So forgive me. Forgive me, Satan. Christ said, love thine enemy. Christ's enemy was Satan, and Satan's enemy was Christ. Through love, enmity is destroyed. Through love, Christ and Satan have destroyed their enmity and come together for the end. Christ to judge, Satan to execute judgment. And that's that kind of plays into effect with Robert's, uh, de Grimson's philosophy here, because ultimately the Protestant Church was an apocalyptic religion. You know, so out, everybody who wasn't in the process, who wasn't a member, who didn't identify with one of these you know, key God patterns, were called grays. So that was everyone else who was characterized by compromise, conformity, mediocrity. Um, de Grimson said, John Gray hides from himself, his own intensity of feeling. He's wrapped himself in a cocoon of compromise and mediocrity. People like him will burn in the purging fires of the last days. Manson 100% stole that. Oh, Anyone for who sure. didn't get into his pit, you're all dead. Well, the, the family living in the pit. The safe. similarities between the two are are kind of just uncanny. It really is. I, oh, you'll see. You'll see in a bit. So the goal of the Process Church is to wake up humanity, to get everybody to wake wake them up before the apocalypse came to pass. Because the majority of humankind. To wake them up inside, D. Sorry, to wake them up inside and to we, save them. Exactly, because the, the majority darkness. of humankind was lost they're gray they're in a you know day-to-day doldrums of daily existence and their cocoon of compromise and conformity but what they want to do is they want to wake people up so here's Balfour Place so they left Mexico went back to London went back to Balfour Place this is the mansion uh, that they owned and this kind of became the focal point of uh, the process and so they when they went back to uh, Balfour Place this would have been like around 67, maybe. Um, they opened a 24-hour macabre-style coffee shop called Satan's Cavern. How cool is that? I would have been at this place all the time. In London. All the time. Oh, a lot of cool people were hanging out there. I'll get to that in a minute. But it became the focal point for public events. These events included performances, debates, film screaming, screenings, and more. Um, you know, uh, what a former process member in, in the uh, documentary Sympathy for the Devil that just recently came out um, was talking about process events. And he said, yeah, I mean, there, there were rituals, there were Sabbath assemblies, a black mass, which awesome. kind of shocked the audience. He called it like a cruel piece of religious satire at the time. However, they kind of said the way they described it was Dada meets Aleister Crowley, which just sounds amazing, doesn't it? Yes, I want to be there right now. 
So this is, yeah, this is when the group really started becoming, I'd say, a full-on cult. As you can see in this picture, Robert's wearing the Omega symbol because he was an Omega. He was the leader. And uh, everybody's just kind of like his devotees are sitting around cross-legged just worshiping him, which is obviously feeding his ego. But the group made a shift. You've seen the coffee table. Oh, yeah, there it is. The Iron Cross. I want that in my house. Members dressed in black and purple hooded cloaks, emblazoned with the Go to Mendy's patch or pendants of their peace sign swastika around their neck. Um, their holy day was Saturday when they held their Sabbath assembly. Sunday was a day of rest. Uh, at the Sabbath assembly, there was an altar situated in the center with four candles making out the four compass directions, and members sat around it on cushions in concentric circles. Similar here, here you can kind of see it. There's the four P. Um, peace sign, and then there's candles around it. Everybody's kind of sitting in a circle, and there's Robert blessing each person as a part of the Sabbath assembly. But what was strange about it is, you know, they did they they held similar rituals to Christian practices. They had baptisms, marriages, weekly okay. gatherings. Yeah, and uh, baptisms were performed at different elevations of status in the hierarchy of the church. They sang hymns to the four deities during these assemblies. Uh, women as well as men were allowed to be ordained priests. On one wall was a picture of Christ, another the goat of Mendes. Uh, later, um, they eventually removed the goat. Uh, here's, here's two classic occultists. One's an omega, one's a regular procession. But they're wearing the cloaks, the black cloaks. You can see the cross with the uh, serpent on it. But the tables, I wonder where all this stuff is, if you can even find this anymore. Do you know what? So these people are all kind of like my parents' age. And this is just shortly before my parents moved to London as well. So like all of these people are probably all like mums and dads somewhere. And they just won't <laughs> tell their kids what the, the crazy things I Could got Could you imagine to. finding these pictures like in your parents' closet? I'd be like, what the fuck were you guys on back then? I'd be like, where was this table and where can we get it? I, I mean, this table. whatever. It's like I, I look at some of the, you know, the weird Jewish, you know, rituals and things like uh, that, that we do. It's not all that far, from, you know, far from this. <laughs> um, they set up a lecture hall and a bookshop. There was an alpha room where they held their Sabbath assemblies, movie theater. Um, they would go out to Hyde Park to preach the apocalypse. Proce- processions would hit the streets asking for donations. You know, they would uh, they would go around with their cups out trying to sell their magazines. And this picture is interesting. You have a guy in the middle. He's got the, the probably the purple cape. It's a black and white picture. But sitting next to him is an Omega, who's like a leader. And he's I think that would, you you eventually kind of would aspire to attain the ranks, you know, elevate through the ranks of uh, much like Scientology. Same thing. There's like the different levels, depending on how much you donate to the church. I'm sure this was based on the same hierarchical structure, you know? Um, Mary Ann was a fanatical anti-vivisectionist. She loved animals. Good. Same yeah. same. Good and on you, Mary Ann. Cult members were told to say that the money for their donations is going to animal welfare, though a eh, majority of it landed in the uh, de Grimson's pockets, <laughs> you know? Um, along with, uh, he wrote many works, Robert, and he was very prolific at the time. Um, definitely believed in this uh, philosophy of his, you know, was balls deep in it. Uh, he wrote a book called The Gods and War, Humanity is the Devil, and uh, another book called As It Is, which kind of became the catchphrase 
of the cult. As it is, so be it. That was the, oh, well, that, um, yeah, there's a, I think there's a picture of him with the, as it is, so be it, it's number 11. Um, that's very Church of Satan because um, what is it? Up above, so as so below? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's you know, you got to have something catchy. There's Robert with as it is, so be it. He's got a bit of the Vincent Gallo about him too. He's like if Vincent Gallo and like Christopher Walken had a son. <laughs> I kind of see that. Kind of see that. Um, they would uh, they would go around in their purple and black capes. Um, they started a magazine called the Process Magazine. Um, the editorial policy favored Hitler, Satan, and Gore. They they were really into the Nazi chic. Obviously, if you look at you know their symbolism. Well, they're war um, babies as well. Yeah, all these people. The theme was humanity is doomed. The tide of the end has come. Earth is preparing for the ultimate devastation. The scene is set, so you know you can you can come uh, you can come now to join the church and be saved. In picture twelve, the next one is great because it shows the people with the capes just kind of randomly coming up and talking to people. You know they do that. Scientologists do that here. Oh, do they? Do they yeah. just randomly come up and try and get you to go for a free chicken dinner? No, what they do, they want to try to get you to sign up and get your information and get your books. It's really funny. Like, I noticed this uh, in Hollywood, and I've seen it in Glendale. A really attractive girl, like, or sometimes two girls, they'll be, like, standing there, and you don't really, they're just, it's kind of nondescript. They don't have, like, the Church of Scientology logos and insignias. It's just they're sitting there with books, and they'll come up and be like, hi, how are you? And you start chatting with them, like, wow, this girl's hot. You start chatting with them, and then within, like, I don't know, five minutes, you realize, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Next thing you know, they're trying to shield their Dianetics books. I imagine this is something similar. It's like you got these weirdos in their black capes cruising around, and they come up to like, hey, do you want to expand your mind? Do you want to help animals? And then they start talking about it. It's like, you know, the the humanity is doomed. world's going to end. Join our cult. We have orgies. We have cool capes. We have Alsatians, you know, and you'll be safe. What's not to love? Exactly. I also must say that these guys look a hundred times cooler than any Scientologist has ever looked. <laughs> I know, for sure. I love the capes. So they hawked the process magazines. Show the next picture. This is great. This is the, um, so they, they became quite prolific there with this. There he is. Yeah, there's uh, Mick Jagger, Marianne Faithful. So they started selling these process magazines. I was actually looking for some of these. I was going to say, I really want to get on eBay right now and look for some. Did I you would, find any? I couldn't find any. Yeah, oh. you, you, you might be able to find them in the UK, though, I bet. I didn't even think about that. Um, but they hawked these magazines on the streets of cool. I mean, this was like King, when King's Road was cool, late 60s. You know, um, they would go into the Indica bookshop run by uh, Peter Asher brother of Paul McCartney's girlfriend, Jane Asher. Um, cool. Yeah, they, Pop Chantus, Marianne Faithful appeared on one of the cover, covers of uh, their magazine. I don't know which issue that is, but she is later backed here, away. On the yeah. left? She later yeah. backed away from it, saying that there was something almost like fascism about the process. Oh, really, Ooh. Marianne? You know, that's quite insightful <laughs> of you. Look at their logo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the next picture is a close-up of the cover. But, uh, oh, yeah, this is my favorite one. So here's a picture of their sex magazine. You see Lucifer, Jehovah, Satan. And the first story, The Natural Life of Jimmy Savile. 
<laughs> I wonder if he was a member. Oh, my God. So this is a quote. The question is, are you moral? And this is Jimmy Savile saying, I would say that I am highly moral during the day and even highly moral during the evening. <laughs> but of course, we won't say anything about nighttime because that is when all real wolves like myself rise from the darkness and leap about causing mayhem left and right. Yeah. You know, with hindsight. <laughs> wow. What a quote to find. Um, there was the uh, the fear issue. Uh, Paul McCartney was interviewed, and he said he said that he had no fear of the world ending or anything like that, but did fear fear itself. Okay, whatever the fuck that, that means. Um, <laughs> yeah, you go to the next uh, the next pick here. This shows Mick Jagger. Oh yeah, this is the Marianne Faithful cover. Yeah, it's a pretty cool there picture. Freedom of expression issue. But the uh, the next uh, one here, mind bending, had Mick Jagger on the cover. Because I think the process editors were like, oh, Mick's face is going to sell more issues than, uh, than putting Satan well, he, or the goat's head on it. He will have been sticking Mars bars into Marianne Faithful at this time. So they probably both just said, oh, it's, ve- it's very cool, darling. Use my picture. Well, I think that's part of it. I think it was like really hip at this point. Like they, you had celebrity endorsements. You had these magazines. You know, they were the 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 the. Balfour Place Mansion. They had their like movie screenings. It definitely sounded like something. I mean, to be honest, I probably would have checked that out. It sounded kind of cool. But as soon as like, they start coming out with the dogma and the teachings and the self help stuff, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm leaving. You know <laughs> what I think arms. the first thing is for me? It's like as soon as they start asking for money, I'm just like, you do know I'm Jewish, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm I'm tight. I'd be like, I'm out. Can I play with your dogs though? So as they were, you know, growing in popularity, um, the Dick Grimsons withdrew from the outer world. They started occupying a zone of secrecy and exclusion, penetrated only by the oldest members. So they started calling themselves the Omega. So the Omega were the elite within the process. Everybody else were processions. And they infused into a single psychic entity. So Robert, the, there it is. There's a difference. And Omega's on the left with that like kind of, uh, I don't know, what the, what's that symbol? It's a smock. The Omega symbol. Oh, yeah, and then the other person's a procession. In smocks. And in the background, the go to Mendy's. Um, but yeah, so uh, Robert started having his long hair, his beard made him start looking like Christ. He would still show up at lectures where he would, you know, preach and give sermons and things like that. Uh, but Marianne rarely seen by any lower ranking members. Oh, mysterious. Yeah. Um, the uh, hierarchical structure of like processions and neophytes and priests and brothers strictly enforced. And the secret rituals of the Omega were a matter of speculation among new devotees. No one would even, you'd never even any interaction with an Omega. And so for people who are new to the process, to even encounter Marianne was a bit of a devastating experience. It was shocking. Because she was kind of totalitarian. Like, she ran everything with an iron fist. Um, she imposed a strict sexual abstinence on any new member. Although the Omegas, they could do whatever they wanted, you know. Um, yeah. Robert was advised to, to release the fiend that lies within you, he would say, to the young neophytes. And uh, people claim that that also included bestiality. I don't know, Maybe. I, no, I think if so, she's such an animal lover, I think bestiality is the total opposite. Well, I think That'd with be... Marianne, but I don't know about Robert. So, no, I'm all for releasing the fiend, though. 
I'm all down for that. <laughs> That's your motto. Uh, the communal life of the church members is strictly regulated. Um, sex and the use of drugs and alcohol, with the exception of caffeine and nicotine, is strictly rationed. These practices were a distraction from their spiritual work. Um, unlike other satanic groups that were active during the period, because if you think about it, they are pretty connected to Satanism and the Church of Satan that was going on at that time, you'd think would be similar. Um, they, but they didn't practice magic. They were very opposed to magic. They're also opposed to vivisection, like animal sacrifices and things like that. So it was around this time, like late 60s, they spread to the United States. They had churches in New York and Boston, New Orleans, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Um, they had uh, a couple churches throughout Europe to Germany. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, in 1968 in San Francisco, Robert de Grimson met Anton LaVey, founder of the Church of Satan. But LaVey steadfastly refused to recognize the process as a Satanist organization. You know, LaVey was probably like, I'm the official grifter for Satan here, not you, <laughs> Grimston. Yeah, you know, they it's were... <laughs> me, I'm the daddy. <laughs> yeah, I bet they were bitter rivals, don't you think? Oh, I bet they were. Anton LaVey just in the background playing his Hammond organ, really angrily, just, <laughs> just going, fuck the process. Yeah. I mean, I bet you LaVey probably had better looking witches anyway, Jane Mansfield. Um, well, Susan Atkins from The Family. Now we're going to get to um, the connection here between the process and Charles Manson. A lot of rumors circulating about the relationship between uh, Manson and the church. You don't um, say. <laughs> so at, uh, in 1968, when they moved to San Francisco, they set up a church at 407 Cole Street, uh, Upper Haight area. Their neighbor at 636 Cole was someone who's going to cause them a lot of uh, surus in about a year or so. <laughs> But none other than Charlie Manson, hey, oh, the head of the Manson hey. family. Yeah, yeah, I live right down the Charles. street from them. Yeah, I don't know if like he baked him a casserole or something. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that happened. But uh, um, this is like, yeah, you know, this is around 1968. At that time, Manson wasn't, you know, the the head of the uh, the family. Were the most like, you know, famous infamous cult leaders alive after the Tate LaBianca murders so before that. So he was still kind of like, what, Nexcon, drug dealer, petty thief, hippie, well, that's playing shitty uh, acoustic been. guitar music in Golden Gate Park. Um, but just a year later, he's going to be, um, you know, a year later he's going to be one of the most uh, famous cult leaders of them all. But for the process, he definitely affected the future of that organization. Oh. So now there's a book that came out that you're familiar with, uh, written by I Ed Sanders, who is a singer-songwriter of the Fugs. Um, he published a book Great called band. The Family, A History of Charles Manson and His Cult. There it is. The story of Charles Manson's dune buggy attack battalion here by Ed Sanders. So Ed Sanders was very upset about how the innocence of the 60s, the hippie movement, had given away to bad drugs Maniacal gurus, violent murder, you know, is what happened here. And uh, I think the Tate, the Tate LaBianca killings were the final blow. You know, it started out, all you need is love and hippies and tie-dye. It ends here with helter-skelter, scrawled in a pregnant woman's blood on the, you know, on the door. Yeah. Um, death to pigs. So his answer, why did this happen? Sanders claims it was the process. 
It was the process who's behind all this. Even though there's no definitive evidence that Charlie was ever a member of the process church, but there are definitely connections between the two. And I would say that Charlie borrowed heavily from their, their ideals, their philosophies. I would say. He did. Yeah. Um, Sanders claimed the process more or less taught Charlie everything he knew. Uh, both Charlie and the Grimsons were into Scientology at one point. Uh, 1968, Charlie sent a family member named Bruce Davis to visit process headquarters in London. And while there, Davis also had a brief stint with Scientology. Um, later on, two processions visited Manson in jail. Uh, Manson contributed to a stream of whatever, unconsciousness, prattle that he usually does uh for the process's death issue they publish it you know he he contributed to it um the grimson wrote of satan and christ the union coming together that was just another name for uh charlie uh the process was i would say more than keen on nazis they liked the fashion they liked the symbolism well who had a swastika carved in his forehead who do you think yeah you know Um, Charlie. Both Charlie and Robert were big on fear. For Charlie, feeling the fear meant total awareness. Uh, For Grimson, only after we do that, which we are afraid to do, can we be saved, you know, face the apocalypse. Processions wore black capes. The family dressed in black when it, you know, committed their murders. Creepy crawling. Yeah. Uh, The process saw biker gangs like the Hells Angels as the shock troops of the coming Armageddon. Straight Satan's part of Manson the Manson ingratiated himself with several gangs, straight Satan, Satan slaves, jokers out of hell. Um, the in members, like the people who were, you know, in the, uh, in the secret groups, uh, the close-knit groups um, and the, of the process referred to themselves as the family. And both Manson's family and the process preached, you know, apocalypse. It was an apocalyptic uh, belief system. Uh, Sanders hated the processions. He denounced them as hooded snuffoids, a black <clears throat> cape, black garb, death-worshipping church. Stop making of, it sound cool, Ed. Well, yeah, I know. He's making it sound kind of cool. He said that there were, the DeGrimsons were basically cult leaders, you know, leading a cult. He also kind of had a lot of loose theories about how, you know, um, they were connected to the Solar Lodge. They were connected to... Um, Weird ritual mutilations, animal sacrifices, uh, affiliated with a group in the Santa Cruz Mountains called the the group uh, the Four Pie. None of this, this was book? substantiated, though. I've, I've read, read excerpts from I, it. I I own this book. I would just say out of you know, there's so many books about the Matz family out there. Loads. I would say this is definitely more on the wackadoo side of things. It's just he does talk. He's obviously friends with a lot of the family members too, so it's good for that. They'll say something super interesting, and then he'll be like, "Remember that time in '62?" You'll be like, "No, go back and ask why Bruce Davis was murdering people in London. I want to know more about that." I think he was getting it writing a sensationalistic novel. You know, I think that's what he's trying to cash in on. You know, the sensationalism of the crimes and trying to make sense of this. This old hippie trying to make sense of what happened. And, and where we're at, at the time. Well, the process was pissed off. You know, Naturally. they they were not happy about that book whatsoever. They lodged a uh, one thousand or a one point five million dollar libel suit against Sanders Whoa. and the publishers, and a one point two five million dollar suit against a series of magazine articles that Sanders had written, and they en- ended up settling out of court with them. So, I mean, there's there's you know some. 
Yeah, they had there some was, good lawyers. They ended up having to like publish later editions with disclaimers about the process. Doesn't matter what happens, you know, or you know the uh, aftermath of it. The damage had been done. Now the process was inextricably, inextricably associated with Charlie Manson. You know, forever. Yeah, there's nothing you could do about it. You know, it's like now it's it's it's. It's it's connected. There's a nexus here between Manson and the Process Church, and that just completely just sullied their reputation, if they even had one. Um, but the claims are all unfounded. There is no link or anything that was ever officially established between the Process and Manson family, or the Process and David Berkowitz on the Sam, which I'm going to get to in a minute. Um, however, during the trial, Vincent Bugliosi. The prosecutor of the Manson trial suggested in his book, Helter Skelter, that Manson borrowed really heavily from the philosophy of the Process Church. Um, he even police, went and interviewed uh, Process yeah. members for, um, the, um, for the trial. Police investigating the Tate-LaBianca murders, which were carried out by the members of the Manson family, they thought there was a connection between Manson and the Process Church. And when they asked Manson if he knew Robert de Grimston, he responded, you're looking at him. Moore and I yeah. are the one and the same. <laughs> of course, uh, he said a lot of insane stuff. Um, but you know what? Another theory here that a lot of the Process, um, uh, Pro- Process Magazine editors, uh, Malachi McCormick, I love the guy's name is Malachi, um, he claimed that the Church of Scientology spread the rumor that, um, that the Process Church and Manson were connected because Hubbard and a lot of those members claimed that they stole the precepts of Scientology for their their own uh, process religion. So I see. I can understand that. I you know I can see that. I mean I think it's uh, you know it's pretty the 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 Scientologists are a nefarious group. I wouldn't say this is beyond you know their area of expertise here. You know it's interesting too. The in urban myth maybe this is spread by the Scientologists as well. Process Church came to be associated with ritual murders of animals, which is odd because. You know, Marianne was such a uh, avid uh, enthusiast for animal rights, but rumors spread that a number of Alsatians had been sacrificed around San Francisco, and they claimed this was part of the Process Church, who owned all these Alsatians. But there yeah, is but no official. Why would connection. they kill their babies? Exactly. They're not going to kill their Alsatians. Well, I think now they're the boogeyman. You know, they're wearing their black capes yeah. and they're associated with Manson. You know, there's just this horrible murder of Sharon Tate. You know, and they, they claim that Charlie Manson was a member of the process. Church. Who knows, like, how rumors are circulating. But now they're the boogeyman. And then there's this whole Son of Sam connection, which is also even more spurious, which is pretty strange. So they yeah. claim that the process church morphed into an international cult network of violent Satan worshipers. And that Son of Sam, David Berkowitz, was one himself. So it's, it's, yeah, there he is. There's David Berkowitz. Davy B had no time to be joining. He didn't even have like the mental capacity to be joining a cult. Davy B likes to drive and not go to work. That was his pleasures and hobbies in life. <laughs> uh, yeah, you showed me a picture of his apartment. Ugh, just a yeah. mattress on the ground. Ma- yeah. um, August 1977, he was arrested for terrorizing New York City as a series of uh, fatal shootings. Uh, he sent a letter to New York Post columnist uh, Steve Dunleavy that said, when I kill, I really save many lives. You'll understand later. People want my blood, but they don't want to listen to what I have to say. There are other sons out there. God help the world. So that was something where people said he couldn't have committed all these murders, this spree of mass shootings by himself. 
And uh, there's a book called The Ultimate Evil, uh, written by in 1987 by Maury Terry, which is an investigation into America's most dangerous satanic cult, with new evidence linking Charlie Manson and the son of Sam. And he claims that um, this is what he, his connection here is okay. that Michael Carr, the eldest child of, the, of uh, Berkowitz's landlord, Sam Carr, was a member of the Process Church. And Michael Carr took David Berkowitz to a Process Church meeting in the woods of a nearby park. And it was there that Berkowitz became a member of the Process Church and became ingratiated to uh, their rituals and satanic uh, you know, um, services and all that. He claims that uh, the West Chapter, the Westchester Chapter of the Children, which is a subgroup of the Process Church, um, committed arson, animal sacrifices, and, uh, and, and spree shootings throughout New York to terrorize New York. Just this evil organization, like almost a terroristic organization. And what's odd about it is his proof here is that uh, police artists had sketches of the son of Sam Shooter. None really resembled Berkowitz as much, but they looked a lot like John Carr. And there were sketches <laughs> of uh, Michael's brother, um, you know, uh, both cars actually, Michael and John Carr. Actually, the next picture is of John Carr, and he does kind of look like him, which makes it seem like maybe there were three. Sh- there's John. There's John Carr, and uh, that's one brother, and then there's the other brother as well. Kind of looks like a bit like uh, Phil Lynn from uh, ELO a bit, but um, but yeah. So anyway, um, they he claimed that there was more than one shooter, and maybe it was the three of them. Maybe they were being um, you know, ordered by the process church. Maybe it was a pact with the devil and they're soldiers of Satan. Maybe that's what uh, the process was, uh, was indoctrinating these people with. You know, that the notion. same people who think these cockamamie theories are the same people that were like, Aldo de Salvo couldn't have done it all by himself. It's like, yeah, usually the simplest answer is, is the correct. This is like way too convoluted. And like, yeah, he kind of looks like that, but... Come on, that could be Lou Reed in that picture too. <laughs> well, that uh, former uh, decorated new NYPD detectives Jim Rothstein and Michael Cordella say that the Process Church enacted the entire campaign. They had ties with biker gangs. Uh, they were doing human trafficking, running drugs, and they claimed that one of uh, their trusted underworld contacts said they saw David Berkowitz at a Process gathering. Oh, yeah, I bet All they of did. it's unfounded. But regardless of the association with David Berkowitz and Charlie Manson, it didn't bode well for the Process Church, and it all went downhill. 1968, the House of Commons enacted a policy to restrict the growth of Scientology. Process was hit by this because American recruits weren't allowed into England to be in the church. They were still allowed to exist, but they weren't allowed to start actively recruiting anymore. And so de Grimston... Was, was sending his flock to England, trying to, you know, get the mercy of the public, saying that, hey, you know, we're not satanic. We're actually here for you. We're helping you. But our, at this point now, how many cults were there? It's a glut of cults. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like people are over cults at this point. You know, and people were, and when they saw the processions come in there, their black capes and their weird, you know, four peak crosses, people were like, are you guys devil worshipers? And so now they're like, okay. I think we're going to have to, to take a few steps back from the whole Satan thing. So they lost the black capes, the inverted pentagrams. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. They All tried the fun to, stuff. 
they they took a few steps back from it. You know, they started trying to get into more of a new agey type thing, offering classes on astrology, ESP, tarot, astral traveling. You know, they they wore gray leisure suits. Oh no, and, no, yeah. <laughs> and, and like blue capes. You know, well, they're like, gonna have Nike trainers now. Oh, I don't like it anymore. I'm out this cult. But the final nail, this is what ended the Process Church, is when uh, the Omegas split. Robert and Marianne. Oh, no. After how many years together? 1974, 65, probably about 15 years. So Robert had been plagued by sexual inhibitions throughout his life. Um, He told Marianne that it was time for him to act on his sexual desires. He wanted a nubile young female procession to join their bed. Oh, it's so typical. Marianne yeah. said, hell no. Yeah, of She was not she down. Did. She completely refused. They also disagreed on the direction of the church itself. Uh, Marianne thought they should kind of just drop the whole satanic thing. That phase is over. We're now Christian. Let's just adopt Christianity. Robert's like, no, 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 no way. This is a satanic church. And that's what we're going to do. I'm not getting rid of that goat's head. We're not going to do that. I want that. my girl. I want the goat. <laughs> yeah, and I want my get, gray leisure suit. We're going to have threesomes. I'm going to wear a leisure suit. <laughs> and we're going to be worshiping Satan, okay? Lucifer is key, you know? Um, high-ranking processions decided that the problem was with Robert's vision, that if the process was going to survive, they need to get rid of Satan. So they ousted him. He got booted. What? He got Satan booted. got booted out the party. What is this? Like the Last Supper with Judas all over again. Yeah. He was betrayed. Marianne uh, renamed the cult the Foundation Church. And it became kind of like an Orthodox Christian church. All references to Satan Lucifer were completely erased. Um, she was she was a weird, she was a weird person. You know, she kind of uh, used the name Hecate in oh, her like pursuit that. of power. That was like one of um, you know, one of her pseudonyms. Uh, but she was definitely, you know, the puppet master here. It was a mat- the process was a matriarchal cult. She led it. It was like she was the secretive, charismatic woman behind the scenes operating the whole show. Pull the strings. And what's interesting in the documentary that came out, process members speak very fondly of her. Not of Robert, but definitely of her. They respected her. Well, I suppose if she was not going to be around them as often, she was there was probably more excitement when she did come and interact with them. Whereas, you know, they're going to know Robert every day on a personal level. Like, they're probably, you know... Gonna yeah. smell his farts. I think it's the mystery, bluntly. you know. Yeah, whereas she's a mysterious character coming in with like her dogs, and it's like she's calling herself Hecate today. You'd always be impressed by that. De Grimson here was defeated, broken man, abandoned by Marianne, abandoned by his cult, and the final end came in 1975. He started to try to, you know, pick up the process and keep his like satanic vision alive. You know, he's wearing his, like, four Ps and his cape. But people just weren't that into it anymore at this point. They're kind of done with him. And so, um, oh, we're not quite there yet. That almost. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, he said uh, he was in Boston Common. He had a few dedicated believers, his new paramour. He ended up hooking up with that nubile young procession. He suddenly stopped. It's almost like he had an epiphany and said, we're going to leave you now, okay? And he walked with his partner across the common into the land of the gray. No one knows what happened to him. He's still alive. They say the last, last reports that he found work with an American telephone company. 
but no one knows what happened to him. It's very like they live, and he became one of them. Yeah, he became a gray. Marianne, however, kept the church going for, for a bit of time. She dropped out of sight. Um, they said in the 70s she had an occult bookshop in Toledo. Uh, she nice. was operating under the name Cersei at that point. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can this woman get any cooler? <laughs> I wanted to be my mother. Um, and then uh, eventually she just kind of disappeared. No one knew, knew what happened. And then she reappeared. This is uh, probably around like hey. the early 90s in Kanab, Utah. And the Process Church became an animal sanctuary. It sort of like completely did a 180 here and uh, transformed into the Best Friends Animal Society. There you go. And you look at the, the symbol. It's kind of a weird symbol, but who knows? I don't know. It's not It satanic. makes sense. Can you not see? It's like two people holding each other, but it's also a dog's face. Can you not see that? I mean, yeah, it's a yeah, very good graphic design. That. I think yeah. it's pretty cool too, you know? It's, it's an animal welfare, uh, welfare organization based in Kanab, Utah. And if you think about it, there's multiple German shepherds, Alsatians on the property. Um, the next picture is a girl with a, with a dog here holding it. If you think about it, oh. maybe in the end, the processions were just devoted dog lovers. You know, they said that uh, they would have counseling, therapeutic counseling sessions, not unlike the Scientology-derived techniques that she did with the e-meters and all that, with dogs. I mean, they were modified to be with the, with the dogs, but they love dogs. They well, were dog, a dog-loving cult. Is is a is a thing now. Animal therapy is a thing, and having um, what do they call it when you can have your pets and they come with you and they can yeah, emotional support animals. Yeah, they've got emotional support animals now, so well, maybe they were just very ahead of their time in that. Well, way. What's great about this is like you know, obviously they're devoted to the welfare of the animals, a sanctuary to help the animals. So a lot of these were strays, and then they now can live on this like wilderness in Utah and have good lives. You know, it's I kind want of. To go to this country. <laughs> I want to see if there's a, there might be descendants from those Alsatians because I bet they bred them and had families and gave them all cool names like Hecate. <laughs> MacLean died in uh, Utah in 2005. And uh, as far as people know, Dick Grimston, Robert, still alive. No one really knows. Wow. Now, the Process Church, though, has uh, played quite a role in pop, in pop culture. I mean, as I mentioned, there's a uh, you know, recent um, documentary that came out on Netflix. You can go check it out. Um, directed by Neil Edwards. He interviewed uh, multiple uh, Process members, as well as George Clinton, uh, Genesis PR, John Waters. A documentary is called Sympathy for the Devil, the True Story of the Process Church and the Final Judgment. Here is a picture from the documentary is uh, George Clinton from uh, Funkadelic is talking about this album, America Eats Its Young, which has a lot of process imagery in it. Uh, also, Maggot Brain had a lot of uh, process references in the liner notes. I love, th- I love this album, actually. It's an amazing record. Um, not quite yet at this one yet. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so you know, there was Psychic TV, um, Genesis Peorge, although she was never a member of the Process Church. She references them. They had the, the Psychic Bible. Skinny Puppy released a concept album called The Process, based on the group. You know, the hardcore band Integrity, I guess, was had a lot of Process Church references in their albums. Uh, their album, Humanity is the Devil, is a name taken from one of the Process's uh, articles. Um, we're going to end the show with Sabbath Assembly, but which is a psychedelic rock band, a cult rock band, that restored the Process Church hymns. So we're going to end the show with one of those. Amazing. Um, people say there's a theory 
that Blue, Co- Blue Oyster Cult album, Secret Treaties, Agents of Fortune, and in particular the band's heavy metal anthem, Don't Fear the Reaper, are all Process Church cryptographies that foretold and perhaps even instructed the Son of Sam murders. I'm going to believe that conspiracy theory. <laughs> this is one I will believe, and I'm going to start talking about this in the pub at the weekend. Um, there's also a few a few books. Uh, uh, William S. Bainbridge in uh, 1978 wrote a book called Satan's Power, a deviant psychotherapy cult about the process church. And Timothy Wiley, who was a ex-member, wrote a book called Love, Sex, Fear, and Death, The Inside Story of the Process Church of the Final Judgment. He is actually in the uh, documentary itself. But um, interesting cult. If you show the last picture, this is kind of a – I like this picture because it sort of shows a cult member – Surrounded by all the um, the visions and philosophies and the people of the cult. And the doggies at the bottom. And the dogs. There yeah. they are. There's the German shepherds at the bottom. It's a great This picture. is also, this is total Manson family. Well, that's I the feel thing. Like any of the girls would have crafted this. I don't think you have to suspend disbelief to think that Manson borrowed heavily from this cult. I mean, I don't think I don't, Manson was that creative, like a creative genius. To, I mean, sure, good-looking guy, wasn't. charismatic dude, but I think he just ripped this cold off. I think he definitely, well, he ripped off a lot of things, but all of this is so family. And uh, I think they ripped off the Scientologists and added their own yeah. little spin to it, you know? Um, I mean, but at the same time, I could see Manson being into it. They had black capes, swastika-like symbols, orgies with hot chicks, celebrities on their magazine. I mean, he wanted to be a drugs. rock star drugs you know yeah. all the successful ingredients of a uh, of a cult there so was both our place uh, did you look it up and see if it's still there i didn't actually look it up i wonder if it's still there i don't think I... uh the coffee shop's still there anymore well no um obviously not but, but i'd love the to bring that back there. that would be great yeah, it would be. Satan's Cavern. Anyway, nice. people, this is episode uh, 803 here is Sick and Wrong. Uh, we got some entertaining phone calls come up next, a couple that I've been uh, holding holding out on and no one to play. Uh, before we get to that, um, here's an ad about the uh, Sick and Wrong Patreon page. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. I think it was an English, Scottish, like United Kingdom thing. Because it's not you guys, Scottishing. You guys are too cheap to Leeds. buy a fucking plunger. That's what I think. Right. So there are many different types of plungers. This is the issue. And there's only like one or two types of plungers that will actually unclog a toilet. And they're expensive. How many types of cock hangers are there? Well, cock hangers, like, if you unravel, uh, <laughs> you unravel a hanger, which Another costs, like, two one. quid. Yeah, a metal one, which costs, like, two quid. You can you can use that indefinitely. My father a... had one for years, though. It was all rusty and had, like, little pieces of toilet paper, like, dingleberries well, attached it's, to it. It's got, it's got good memories attached to it. You could be like, there's David's cocks and there's Stephanie's cocks. I used to take it and put it in my there, sister's hair, Jeffrey. and she'd scream. <laughs> <laughs> for only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sick and wrong sign up today support the show and keep it sick and wrong so we got a few phone calls to get to three two three five two two four zero three two is that number keep it under three minutes trace minutos check my spanish 
More than I can say. Tres minutos. Anyway, the uh, first call is going to be a trip down memory lane for you, Kate Rambo. Pourquoi? Drunk Dad dialing in. Well, hello there, sick and wrong. This is Mr. Rambo calling. Mr. Rambo's calling. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yeah, from beyond the grave. It must be about like 10 years. From... Yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> London, England. Catherine, my love, your mom and I are very worried about you. You left the flat this morning without remembering to take your vagina medicine. <laughs> Kate, how could you do that? Oh, could I worry my mom and uh, dad like that so, so badly? I know, but uh, how are you going to control the odor? I don't know. Without, uh, without I need your my pills. medicine. <laughs> <laughs> did uh, did drunk dad Mr. Rambo call you Catherine? Well, no, because I'm not Catherine. <laughs> I am William Shakespeare's Kate. No, oh, it's not name. short for like Katie or Catherine. No, or... I'm just William Shakespeare's Kate. Kate. He invented my name, Kate Alicious. Yeah, <laughs> William Shakespeare also invented the name Kate Alicious. <laughs> You left it on the counter in the loo. It's a Don't loo. worry, Catherine. Your mom has put your vagina medicine into the post. You shall be relieving it shortly. <laughs> oh, so I guess she's posting it to you. So no worries To, there, to wherever Catherine. I am. It'll be okay. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. Catherine, we worry about you. <laughs> Don't be a slag like your gran. Use your vagina medicine. To the loo, my dear. Talk to you later. Ah, he's so thoughtful, <laughs> drunk dad. Do you say toodaloo in America? Oh, yeah, yeah. it's very common. I'm going to bring, I've not said toodaloo. I'm going to start saying it now. Like, or not even like ironically. Well, I'm just going to be like toodaloo. The origins <laughs> of British, it's a British term, right? A British. Of course it is. Can you, <laughs> could you go anywhere else and say toodle fucking oo? Hiya, toodaloo. <laughs> toodaloo. Wow. Well, that was really nice. A trip down memory lane. I know. Thank you, Dad, for my vagina father. medicine. Um, sluttery, slatternly, slaggishness. It all runs in the family, probably from like my great, 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 great grandmother. We've all inherited uh, the vagina. So, from was her that we grandma a for. slag? Well, technically, aren't all our grandmas slags? Because they're all like shagging their husbands with no protection and getting pregnant. It's a pretty slaggish move, if you ask me, when you could just be swallowing that semen. But okay, so, I'm just looking through the matriarchal line of the Rambo women. Who had the most abortions? Me. Do you guys brag about that when you had family reunions? Oh, How many oh, yeah, of you we... had? Oh, I've had <laughs> four. You've had three. Saw <laughs> that. Like, is that common? I... Nothing compared to my Auntie Sylvie, who's probably only had sex once, but yet somehow has created the greatest man known to mankind. Oh, that's getting into some bitchy. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> if any who? of my... Well, your aunt <laughs> created the greatest man known to mankind? Oh, if you ask her, she has. If you ask oh, her, there's, there's oh, definitely okay. some, like, uh, motherly This is love. your cousin? Um, yes, one of my cousins. I have many. Many, oh, many. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So do you have like some kind of recognition like a medal or a certificate for having the most abortions in the family uh, not at the minute i still have probably some other family members to be but i'm working hard at it Let's i'm gonna working hard maybe one day i'll give you like a sick and wrong like bronzed fetus award or something <gasps> that'd be no like i want the little 
what I'll do is the next time I have an abortion, okay, we'll just do a little cast iron uh, resin polymer thing of the little fetus's feet. And that's what you can make it with. Oh, that's okay. brilliant. You can even make that's a, a nice little memento like before. Little yeah, before it gets chain. chucked in the incinerator. I can be like, that was like abortion number 42. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, thank you, Drunk Dad. It's good hearing from you. Uh, yes, this a next blessing. Call, was a next blessing. call is from uh, Chris Siege over in uh, Victoria, Ireland, Canada. I don't know why they sound like that, but they don't. Greetings, D&K. Christopher Siege here. Just wanted to call in and talk a little bit about something that happened uh, right across the street from my work this morning. So early this morning at about 7 a.m., I was doing my daily, like, one-hour stand at the door enforcing the mask policy slash being unpaid muscle. <laughs> yeah, doesn't he work at, like, a grocery store or something? He does, but can I just also say um, I loved his uh, radio voice at the start. Greetings! He no, he's got, very, a, he's like, got a 1950s. He's got a great yeah, radio great. voice anyway. Actually, yeah. I should get him to do more promos for us. Because he was on, remember he subbed the show with uh, Sick and Wrong like a year ago or so? He did. But uh, yeah, yeah, he like a uh, great radio voice. Does a podcast himself, that Beast Wars podcast. He's a busy man. And so I'm I, I'm I'm just standing there for however long, like pondering all of the the choices and mistakes that I've made that have uh, led my life to this moment. Working at a grocery store, standing at a door, but uh, I, I hear. You know what I would do if I was him? I would get like a stick or something, or like a, actually, you know what? A laser pointer. So when someone came in without a mask, I'd be like in your face, like you, sir, you, sir, with a laser pointer. Yes, that's very pedantic. It's something I could see you doing. I, I could do that. It's like, you, sir, where's your face diaper? I think a stick would be diaper? better. Yeah, I but a stick a... they could say is assault. Oh, yeah, as if soon as you touch them. Poke, yeah, as soon as you touch them. So yeah. I think that's if you had a laser pointer or like a squirt Plus, gun or something. The Canadians are too polite to do anything like this. So they're yeah, going to be very, very passive aggressive. Yeah. They'd probably throw like a poutine fry at them or something. Also oh, assault in Canada. Like junkie yell out, hey, 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 from across the street. So I look over and directly across from the front entrance of my workplace was uh, some some like street person who had clearly like slept there last night because he had like blankets and a bunch of garbage and shit around him. And there were these two other like crackheads like trying to wake him up. One was this chick and one was this dude. So the chick was like screaming at this guy, like trying to wake him up. And the dude was completely unresponsive. And uh, the crackhead guy was like, was like pushing on him, like trying to wake him up and like, dude, completely unresponsive. Guy looked dead, honestly. <laughs> From This is so tragic. It's like, it's, you know, it's like a his war buddy or something. He's like, come on, get up. And this is such a good way to start the day though, if you're at work. <laughs> hey, I don't know, have excitements like this in my work and i work a blue collar job just like siege yeah but it's interesting at least it's something out of the ordinary i've been loving it that's kind of what i thought when like COVID happened i was like a little excited because i'm like wow it's something different different than my the humdrums of my daily existence you know angle and so they keep yelling yelling at him and like shaking him and uh, nothing's happening and uh the the check fucks off and for a brief moment i start to wonder i'm like huh 
that guy actually looks kind of dead. Should I, uh, <laughs> should I call an ambulance or something? Like, he probably OD'd. And I'd just laser point his eyes to see if there's any As I movement. Say, this, is, <laughs> this is when you really go and get a stick. Yeah, and now you, poke, you actually can use a stick. Poke the body with a stick. <laughs> I, I pondered that for a minute and thought, you know what? Nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then something like absolutely amazing happens. So the the guy, the what the crackhead dude keeps trying to like shake this guy awake and he's still like not responding at all, not moving. He stands up and fucking kicks the guy and the guy still doesn't move. So the crackhead like leans down over to the dude's bag and starts sifting through his bag and like pulls out like a, some money, like a 20 and a couple of fives and pockets them. And then he like tries to shake the guy awake again and he still doesn't respond. So the crackhead like goes back to the guy's bag and pulls out a pack of cigarettes. And then he goes to like try and sh This is like the guy's life savings. But he doesn't yeah. need him anymore, you know? Well, he's not going to need them where he's going. That's like a crackhead's 401k plan right there. He would have wanted him to have them. Yeah. I'm awake again, and the guy, like, still doesn't move. And so he goes back into the dude's bag and, like, steals a couple of lighters and, like, grabs a couple of other things. And I'm watching this just, like, trying to contain my fucking laughter here. It's like something out of, like, a mean-spirited comedy. Somebody, uh, a much better human being than I, uh, did end up phoning uh, 911, and an ambulance came, and, yeah, you know, guy ended up living. Whatever. Oh, <laughs> anyway, keep it sick. Keep it wrong. Bye-bye. <laughs> so, wait, the, the oh, Kraken wasn't even dead. The dude just rifled through all his belongings, stole his 401k Kraken plan. That's what you that's do, it. though, isn't it? I mean, come on, it's like junky rules. It's street rules. You, you, you're going to get rolled, aren't you? Well, you have to be opportunistic if you live on the streets. Yeah, this I mean, is that's an like a fortune. Yeah, I mean, I've this is like... I've never bought a crack, but I imagine you can get at least one crack rock. Oh, for 20 bucks? I think you can get, like, yeah. four crack ten? rocks. It's just, like, you five or ten dollars. Yeah. Probably, oh, yeah, you get a couple. Yeah. That's pretty... And you got a packet of cigarettes as well, so he doesn't have to spend money on lighters. cigarettes that way. Yeah. got a nice him. pair of gloves, you know, with the fingers cut off. What I would have done if I was Siege, I would have been, like, if... You know, you always have favorite other colleagues that you work with, don't you? I would have just gone and found like one of my favorite colleagues and been like, hey, hey, come and watch this. Come and watch this with me. And just made them stand and watch it with me. I probably, but would you have, would you have gone over there to try to like no. mouth to mouth or CPR? <laughs> <laughs> I would have gone over there with a stick. I wouldn't have even gone over there with a stick because I've been like, shit, if he wakes up and like, spits in my direction that's covid I, so, I think covid's the least of your worries at that point i certainly i also wouldn't have rang an ambulance either i'd have just been like i want to see where, where this plays out i'm on front door till one okay guys yeah I'm i kind of would have wanted to see what was going on too you know yeah I, that's funny yeah siege actually put a really funny picture in the discord recently as well where it was like trainers and pants and I think someone's top on top of like a dumpster and it just looked like the guy had disappeared into the ether. I was like, there must be um there must be a homeless problem, to put it bluntly, in a Victoria <laughs> at the minute. Wait, I don't get it. Trainers and pants were just like It was like all like a hobo's like entire outfit. Like just on top of Where was of the like hobo? The... Exactly, D. Where was the hobo? Is it like a scarecrow? Where's he gone? 
Like, no, they would like just scaring like, other crackheads away from his uh, stuff. Maybe they didn't want to take his stuff because they were like, that guy's a ghost now and that stuff is haunted. But it was totally like he had just like evaporated. <laughs> He'd smoked so much crack. Maybe they spontaneously combust or something, you know? He iced himself. I don't blame uh, Christopher Siege at all. I don't blame him at all. I think I would have done the no. same thing. That's like, that's entertainment. That's like an hour of your, you know, work that you're actually like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's like I actually get to watch something interesting. And when you see shit like that as well, you talk about it for like weeks after. And you just, it, it puts a pep in your step. It does. <laughs> it is kind of funny when you see bums. I remember the first time I ever went to New York City. Uh, this is like 1993 when Lower East Side was pretty sketchy. Um, this one bum was like passed out on the ground and he had like a shopping cart just full of cans. And in New York, it's like, what was that five cents a can or something? Michigan's like 10 cents a can. Anyway, oh, wow. a bum came over and was just like, I can sleep I'm going to go take this shopping cart. And he starts taking the shopping cart. And the one guy like gets up and was just like, what the fuck are you doing, motherfucker? And he like runs after him. And they start like kind of fighting. And then the one guy like picks up like a bar off the ground, like an iron, like a wrought iron kind of rebar or something. And just like swings at him. And the other guy picks up another like a piece of rebar <laughs> off the ground. And then it became like a full-on sword fight. Like it's bam, bam. Fight. And they're clinging over a shopping cart full of cans. And instead of anyone stopping it or calling the police or everything, there's no phones to videotape it at that time. But everyone's standing there just like, yeah, get them. Like, and I think, I swear, there was someone betting on it. And like, we were just kind of standing there watching. And yeah, and like at first everyone's like kind of laughing. It was funny until one guy... He hit him, and then he Too just hard. pummeled his face in with the with the thing, and then everyone's like, oh, "I'm gonna get out of here." Yeah, now it's now it's murder. <laughs> now it's Bye. murder. I think I'm gonna go on with my day. That was this fun. This is what I've I've always thought about. If I was ever like a bum, you know, I was homeless once, but if I was ever a bum in like New York or somewhere, why don't they go south for the winter? I don't know, maybe make more money in New York. Also, like San Francisco, I used to wonder that too. It's like, why are they here? It's cold and it's wet. It's because you get free methadone, you get free food. You know, it's but like maybe like, in those other cities in Florida or something, they they're not as amenable to the homeless. I bet in Miami they don't give a shit. I bet you can go like to my, I would winter in Miami and then just like flock back up like the birds and then just, flock back up to New York. I would get a bindle and I would ride the train cars. <laughs> That's what I would do. And then that I'd write awesome. songs. In a Tom Waits type voice, and uh, who knows what would happen to my career? Okay, Mel, Mel Haggard. Look to right, him and no you. one else. Thank you, Christopher Siege. We have one more call here, and this is from the Swede. Oh wow! Oh, hello, sick and wrong. This is uh, Johnny from uh, Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, another Swede. I'm not uh, affiliated with uh, that other Swede, but I have a story about Thailand too. I went to uh, a bar in Copenhagen. Uh, no, where was it? Uh, oh, in Bangkok. Anyway. Uh, he says that Bangkok. Bangkok. The other Swede. This is um, Swede too. Do you think they would fight with each other? With, but Wait, no, there's two Swedes? Swede... This sounds like the same Swede. This is a different Swede? No, this is as if this is a different Swede. Can you not Shit. tell? I don't know. The Swedes kind of sound the same. Oh, their English voices. Just so when racist. they're speaking English, I'm sure, and they're speaking Swedish, they sound different. They have different voices. This isn't the Swede. This is a Swede too. I wonder which part. It's another of Sweden. Swede. 
Which part of Sweden Sweden 2 is from? I imagine it looks a lot like where Sweden 1 is from. <laughs> <laughs> Sweden. Um, a girl, she uh, want, asked me if I wanted to have some fun, you know, some sexy fun. I said, yeah, sure. So we went uh, to uh, her house. Are you sure this is the Swede? Two. This is not. This is the Swede too. This is like Darth Maul Swede. Are this you is sure? A different Swede. I'm a hundred percent sure. Jean Claude Van Damme. It's, <laughs> it sounds like Van Damme to me. Jean Claude Van Damme is not Swedish. I thought he was Austrian. I know, but no, he's uh, French. He's Belgium. He's from Belgium. But Sorry, his voice, his speaking voice, sounds like Van Damme to me. Do you I want to call think, this guy? I almost think this might be Jean Claude. Do you want to call him Jean Claude Van Swede? That would work, but it sounds like Jean Claude. Close by with just a small room, really. And uh, she, uh, you know, took my pants and trousers off, everything, you know, and she was uh, sitting on a bed and she went on her knees and she looked at my cock and she looked at me and she said, I do this for my family. <laughs> <laughs> was it was his cock malformed like why i mean she's obviously seen a lot of cocks or maybe it was the first time you know she's a new like a, a neophyte prostitute or something i don't think any phrase can make a man harder than i do this for my family <laughs> speak for yourself the tears are like viagra for me and i just wasn't uh, so turned on but she said you know she went to put her mouth on my cock and looked again and said i do this for my family and i said no please stop just uh, use your hand you know make uh, make me finish with your hand because I, I would i would definitely say you gotta stop talking if this is gonna end if we're gonna be able to complete this interaction you gotta stop talking because that would kill it for me <laughs> i gotta say you know jean claude's asian impression is dead on i would like to know how marshall island tony tony would have handled this situation i think marshall island tony would have been hard as a rock at the time <laughs> <laughs> that would have been like that's no, that's arousing. This for is that guy. yeah, this is Marshall and Tony's yeah. dream this is scenario. Like an scenario. Yeah. Finally, you know, a girl that isn't a slag. Imagine the pain. So I just give her some extra money and I go to bed and I feel like shit. Anyway, keep it sick and wrong, fun. Cheers. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way you ended that. Cheers. Yeah. I love Swede too. I want more um <laughs> more stories from abroad from both Swedes. I want to know is Swede too. Were you in Bangkok alone? Like were you by yourself like a sex they tourist? Never, you never go to Bangkok by yourself, do you? You do when you're like a, you know, like a, a creepy older European. Why what makes you think that Jean-Claude Van Swede is older? Well, I don't know, but I'm just saying, I don't, he's probably with his friends and they all probably all got hookers. But what I'm yeah. saying is like, there comes a point when you're like over 40 
and you go to Bangkok by yourself. Oh, we all know what you're doing there. Yeah, like um, <laughs> you're not doing it for your family. <laughs> <laughs> a couple friends of mine in San Francisco. I'm not going to mention any names. Used to go every year by themselves, and he was saying that one of his favorite things about getting a a prostitute in Bangkok is so you'd have sex, but afterwards. She would cut your toenails. She cut your fingernails. She would like warm compress oh, everything. Look after you. Yeah, That's so it's it. like getting a manicure Marshall, and a pedi. Marshall and Tony say that they look after you. I'm sure he's mm. definitely talked about like soap jobs and stuff. Like yeah, that. I mean, I, I, yeah, and... I think they do that, and so it's like he's like, yeah, it's way better than the U.S. where they just don't give a shit. You know what, Sweet <laughs> Two should have done. He should have said, "Show me the picture." The picture of what? Of their family. Oh, and of then the family? Then he should have well, just then he gone rock, yeah. rock fucking hard. <laughs> so staring at the picture of her family and then, well, yeah, that's that's a very morbid, See, I don't think he's got, a very he's morbid uh, picture there. The Swedes know how to look after their kyoks. So I, I've got no worry there. I just <laughs> I don't know. She was just trying to get out of a job. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I think if I was in that situation, which I, I wouldn't be, but if I was, I'd have been like, Here's some money. I have to go. Go. Well, I have to go. <laughs> this is like, you ruined it. You blew it. Or you did blow it. You ruined it. <laughs> you know, here's a, here's a $20. Anyway, uh, uh, people call Sigma on Hotline 323-522-4032. If you want to support the show and... You want an extra show, because that's kind of how we're doing it now. We get your, uh, we get the regular Sick and Wrong show, and then you get a whole extra show on the Patreon. And you sign up for patreon.com slash sickandwrong. $5 a month, news stories, phone calls, outtakes. It's a whole extra show. And then uh, on top of that, for a couple bucks more, $5 more, uh, you get uh, the uh, Sick and Wrong news segment. Um, this week, uh, we covered a new story on a, a woman who lactated from her underarm. Ugh. Yeah. I, and I'm amazed that Kate Rambo said she would drink the milk. I don't know why I was just, I just kind of skipped by it. Cause I don't even want to know. Anyway, I was doing it for my family. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also do the, uh, the bonus, uh, Sigurong mini called Sigurong Overkill. And, uh, this week it's. Manson Month. This month is Manson Month. And this it's week, uh, yeah, Kate covered the Mendocino Witches. Yeah, fun times. Yeah, so uh, it's going to be a Manson-themed month in uh, the anniversary of the uh, the Manson murders. I'm so check it out. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Support the show. We, we really do appreciate it. It keeps us going. Um, also, we got a, a T Public store if you want to get some merch. Sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Finally, here's Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. So I mentioned before, there's a band called Sabbath Assembly, which was an occult rock band formed around like 2010 um, with only two uh, two people in it. Uh, Jex Thoff, who I actually really admire her. Um, some of the, the, the occult. She's kind of like an occult rock artist, been in a bunch of bands. I think she's in a solo band called Jex Thoff. Um, but she, and this, uh, this is like a side project she did with a guy uh, named David Christian. But what they wanted to do was they wanted to play the hymns of the Process Church of the Final Judgment. So they awesome. actually got the real, yeah, so this is an actual hymn of the Process Church. It's called We Give Our Lives, and it's from their debut LP, Restored to One, which came out in 2010. 
all the divine forces are mentioned in this one song. Uh, pretty Hail cool. You know, their follow-up record, though, which I checked it out today too, because I I've heard the I I've heard of them. I have Jack Stoff's like solo stuff, and it's great. But I I actually never had anything but Sabbath Assembly. But I was listening to this one with the hymns. It's kind of cool. But the second one is called "Ye Are the Gods," and it's a full-on like recreation of a process mass and sermon and like a service. It's Boring. it's interesting. Yeah, I I don't I couldn't imagine listening. It's something that'd be cool to have. Couldn't imagine listening to it all that much, but I imagine it was also something better when there's like thirty of you in that room and you're all kind of high. Yeah, as well. Probably makes yeah, it's probably a little more palatable at that point. Anyway, this song though, we give our lives is kind of cool, very catchy. So we're on the show here with that. We give our lives by Sabbath Assembly. People, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with episode eight oh four. Till then, take it sleazy. We give our lives. We give our stars above we feel your power your burning fire you raise our spirits ever higher the Lord Jehovah power and will faith and courage now and still the strength and truth of new life
It's still though December, sweetheart. So if you want to stuff yourself like a Thanksgiving turkey, head over to adamandeve.com and go crazy. Personally, mm, I enjoy the bottoms up finger rammer. And when I desire some backdoor action, I use the deep anchor probe. And if you think the fun stops there, you need a big dong up your juicy little cunt. Because if you enter Diddle upon checkout, you will receive three free adult DVDs, 50% off almost any item, and a gift so sensual, I can't even mention it on this podcast. Mm, But I can certainly feel it. And let me tell you, honey, dildos are one of those gifts that keeps...